Welcome! The University of Central Florida's Office of Diversity and Inclusion brings you Matters of Diversity with Dr. B. With your host, Dr. S. Kent Butler. And our guests, Courtney Hand, Dr. Cynthia Muniz, and Justin Andrade. This show is brought to you by UCF Foundation. Thank you. Hotel, and welcome to Matters of Diversity with Dr. B. Today, we're going to have a really exciting show to talk to you all a little bit about uh, what's happening on campus when it comes to our interest groups. And our interest groups are the FASA, Pride, and Black Faculty Staff Student Association. And so I'm really excited to talk with the presidents from each of those organizations. They have phenomenal stories. They will tell you all about the things that they got going on in their wheelhouses. And we're just gonna talk about what UCF can be doing um, with regards to their interest areas and how we can still become more inclusive and, and really deal with what equity really should look like on our college campus. My first guest is Courtney Ram Hand, and she'll tell me if that was correctly pronounced. Um, she is the assistant director at the University of Central Florida in Career Services, and her role supports management of career development and team development. Um, Courtney co-manages the Career Peer Advisor Program, recruiting and, re and training career peer advisors to assist in the professional and career educational processes through peer-to-peer -peer guidance and essential programming. Courtney also counsels and advises students regarding major and career choices, facilitates professional development workshops, and supports university initiatives to provide student to professional success transitions, successful transitions. Um, Justin Andrade is an alumni of the University of Central Florida with a BS degree, um, and he has his master's degree from Drexel University. He has been a part of the SDES community for almost eight years, working first as a inaugural LGBTQ plus services coordinator, and currently as the assistant director for student programs in the Office of Student Involvement. Justin serves as the president for the Pride Faculty Staff Association, in which he utilizes the opportunity to uplift LGBTQ plus community needs and highlight the intersections and marginalized groups within the spectrum. And last but not least, we have Dr. Cynthia Morales Yunis. She serves as the director of HSI Culture and Partnerships here at UCF. In, her, in this role, she spearheads the development and implementation of UCF's Hispanic serving institutions their goals and the strategies behind them. She also serves as the university's representative for national partnerships with a focused mission on Latino student success, federal funding programs designed to strengthen minority serving institutions. So with that, please welcome my wonderful, 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 wonderful guests, um, Courtney, Justin, and Cynthia. What's happening with you all? Doing well, doing well. Thank you, Dr. B, for having us. We're excited about this opportunity and I'm just, I'm looking forward to sharing the space and time with my amazing colleagues. Yes, definitely, definitely that. How are you doing, Courtney? 
Doing good, doing good. We're in uh, 2021, um, being hopeful um, in this season. <laughs> so, uh, but at doing well, the semester starting off uh, wonderfully, um, both in career services and with BFSA. So looking forward nice. to the year. Nice. And Justin, what's going on? I'm doing good, Dr. B. I echo uh, the sentiments of my colleagues and friends um, in today's discussion. I'm, I'm excited to be amongst people that do this work and, you know, kind of have a, a conversation about how we come together and, and what we do. Nice. So why don't we start with you, Justin? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Pride does and why the University of Central Florida should be having their eyes open towards what you do and the mission that we have? Yeah, so PFSA was actually started in 2011. Um, so we've been around for a little bit. Um, we recognized there was a need to serve the LGBTQ plus community at the time of faculty and staff and also inclusive of students because at the time there hadn't actually been an LGBTQ plus services facing office. Um, so a group of individuals comprised of faculty and staff thought how can we elevate issues, you know, to the president's office and to upper administration related to the needs of this community? Um, and it was actually born out of the need to add sexual orientation and gender identity to the non-discrimination policy of the university. Right. Um, and so uh, the group of, of people that came together thought, you know, this could be an initiative that we take on together and could be more effective if we actually organize and become an association. Um, so the mission of PFSA is, you know, representative of the University of Central Florida's goal to be more inclusive and diverse, which is why we all are here and why we're committed to the work. And we promote an environment which fosters cultural sensibility and enrichment by providing quality programming, networking opportunities, and guidance to UCF's LGBTQ plus students, faculty, and staff. Um, on all of our UCF campuses. So it's really important for us um, to reach across all of our connect campuses right. um, and build that community. Nice, nice. And so when you think about the work that you're doing and how you got involved, how did you get up into the leadership position? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, as you mentioned in my bio, I started um, working at UCF professionally in 2013, and I was the inaugural coordinator in the LGBTQ plus services office, which was a, an amazing opportunity and an honor to step into. Um, so via that role, I had the opportunity to really um, define what it looked like to create trainings and programs um, that really would leave behind a legacy to support um, students. Um, but with that, I would get a lot of, um, you know, inquiries or outreach from faculty and staff saying, you know, how can this office help us um, create a mentorship opportunity for students? Um, and how can we affect policy together? Because ultimately, you know, we are in this to support our LGBTQ plus students um, and developing policies for them, you know, is also as, as important to develop them for faculty and staff. So um, 2013, I would say I, I got I received a lot of um, encouragement to um, apply for the role, um, but I made the switch from social justice and advocacy to the Office of Student Involvement um, as assistant director there um, 
with an opportunity really uniquely to bring diversity and a diverse perspective to that role. Um, but at that time, I was like, all right, I think it's time. I'm still connected to my LGBTQ plus advocacy roots. Um, so now that I've taken a step away and I've redefined myself in this new role, I thought, why not? Um, so I've been in the role. This is now my second term. Um, and that's because, you know, the membership decided it probably made sense right now during the pandemic and the transition that we had, but I've loved the opportunity. It's really um, brought me together with Courtney and Cynthia, um, but it's also um, helped me be connected to ODI, to you, Dr. B, to Dr. Cartwright, um, to Provost Johnson, to Dr. Ehas in ways that I know will really affect policy nice. uh, for LGBTQ plus people here. Yeah, that's excellent, excellent. So typically the, the term is one year? Yeah, typically it's one year, correct. Okay, cool. So who would you want to hear from next? You want to hear from Courtney or you want to hear from Cynthia? Who, who, do, we, who do we punt it to? Um, I'll punt it to Courtney. All right, Courtney. So tell us a little bit about BFSA. Yeah, so um, BFSA has, um, we're celebrating, has been around for 50 years this year. Right. Um, so 1971, it started off with the Black faculty um, assembly. Um, and then uh, five years later, it transitioned into the Black faculty and staff association as we know it now, BFSA. So um, I come into BFSA um, in, in, a, in an already established organization. Um, so, you know, I was very grateful to have been um, with my colleagues who have been supporting BFSA since before I've been here at UCF. Um, I, I came to UCF in, in 2015. Um, and then my, my first leadership role with BFSA was in uh, 2019. So. Um, I have been very much so groomed by some of our past leadership um, and our, you know, some of our future leadership as well, you know, being able to hear some of their perspectives. But, you know, in, in reference to BFSA, it, it really became established, you know, in order to really promote, you know, advocacy and mentoring and, and professional networking and, and, some, and programming with our Black faculty and staff. Um, you know, in 1971, um, you know, minority staff, right? It, it, it wasn't as colorful. <laughs> um, so with that being said, I know, I was like, uh, <laughs> when that came out my mouth, I was like, well, it still may not be. <laughs> but with that being said, you know, our, our group of Black faculty and staff then decided to come together and, and be able to, to provide um, uh, an association of support, right? No. Um, I like to always communicate that anyone to become part of BFSA, um, you know, and just, just like the rest of our organizations here. Um, so, you know, support is support, right? So um, we wanna be able to, um, like fellowship, we wanna be able to grow and evolve with, with everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with that being said, we do have some very traditional events and programming that we do put on. We are about to put on our 27th uh, mentoring celebration. Um, it, traditionally, it's our mentoring breakfast. Um, however, due to our lovely pandemic year, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't turn to years, but <laughs> um, we are unfortunately not able to be in the ballroom all together. Um, but with that being said, we still have the avenue in which you know we're using right now, right, with Zoom um, in that virtual setting to come together and celebrate that uh, mentoring, right, and the mentor uh, the mentorship legacy through our legacy program that ODI now supports. So 
um, that is something that we are kind of known for. Um, you know, we, we definitely love to uh, communicate, again, that mentoring piece. Um, I think it is, I think it's out of all of the spokes that BFSA was um, built on, uh, mentoring, it was probably the, the biggest, right? So um, we love to be able to, to celebrate that. So um, we're very excited over the year, the years to come, we're very excited to celebrate 50 years. That's a, a very long time. Yeah. You must get a lot of emails. Is that what I'm hearing? Is you getting emails coming through like that? Yeah, um, it is uh, Teams. <laughs> my, my colleagues, they, they like to, they communicate. They communicate, they communicate well. They do. They, they <laughs> so so um, how did you go in leadership into BFSA leadership? Yeah, you know, I had a colleague that um, I work with here at Career Services. She thought I would be um, a great fit, you know, for one of the leadership positions for BFSA. So she nominated me, um, just like, again, the rest of my colleagues here, we do nom we do elections every year um, on, a, on a yearly basis. So um, she originally nominated me for the vice president-elect role. Um, I um, was accepted the nomination, was uh, elected into that role officially. Um, and actually, our president-elect ended up getting another opportunity at another school that year. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, I was uh, elected again to, to kind of move up into that president-elect uh, role and hence, hence roll over. So, um, you know, kind of happenstance in a way, things kind of work out <laughs> the way that it is. But I'm, I'm so glad that, that I did. Um, I've absolutely, just like Dustin said, enjoyed my year, enjoyed being connected to um, a lot of my different offices and on, on campus, um, you know, building relationships with, like with you, Dr. Butler, with Dr. Um, Cartwright, President Cartwright, um, you know, the provost office, a lot of my, you know, faculty, I'm on the staff side. So being able to get to know a lot of my faculty as well has been, has been great and has been amazing. Nice. So, you know, what's really funny, I think when you just said that, so um, we come from communities of people who know how to pivot really quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And also tap onto someone, right? So, oh, I see you should be the next leader. <laughs> bring you in, they bring you in. So I, um, I'm gonna, I guess I'll do the same thing I asked of Dustin. Who do you want to bring in next? <laughs> well, that's easy. <laughs> it will give it to Cindy, uh, Dr. Muniz. Dr. Muniz, how are you? <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing really well. I, I I'm very I'm, I'm happy to be here and share information, right? Kind of kind of go back back in back in time, if you will, right? Kind of reflect on La Fasa and, and what we've done and and, yeah, and all of our organizations you know, working together and and doing great things. Nice. So how did the fossil come along. I mean, what was what was the the jewels that kind of built this organization? Yes, well, definitely appreciate the question. So back in 2014, there was a lot of chatter about UCF becoming a Hispanic serving institution, right? There was a lot of excitement. Like, oh, so I, I hear that we're we're on the verge of becoming an HSI. What does that mean? It looks like you know our, our numbers are increasing. You know, as far as our Latino students at the undergraduate level is concerned, and and you know, I hear that there's some money involved, right? Some potential for grants and that kind of thing. So lots of conversations about what this meant for our future moving forward. Right. And so those questions, right? Those curiosities led to uh, 
two of my colleagues and I coming together. And one of those colleagues being none other than Justin Andrade himself, who is a founding member of the board, uh, right? A founding member of La Fasa. That was fall of 2014. My other colleague, Christina Luna, who is no longer at UCF, but she's at the University of Miami. Mm. And so uh, we came together in, in the multi-purpose room in the Fraternity and Sorority Life building and, and <laughs> we made it happen. And uh, kind of started off with the logistical pieces of, okay, well, let's put it on paper. What is this going to look like? You know, absolutely. A shout out to BFSA, right? Who provided the blueprint, kind of the roadmap. Like, okay, well, let's look at BFSA. What have they done? And, and we took what, what made sense for us and our community. And then we tailored it and made it our own, right? And, and put that, the, the Latino flavor, if you will, right? As far as what we wanted to resonate with our community. And so we started, we started from there. Our, our official establishment date, we chose for it to be March 9th of 2015, because that is when we finalized our bylaws. Okay. Um, and so we're not too far from that, right? We're about a couple months, a month and a half away from that, which will be our sixth anniversary officially. And that will also be the day that we announce our new board of directors for La Fasa. We are currently right now uh, in the middle of our election for our new board of directors. And I'm particularly very excited about that. Uh, I'm very excited, yes, very excited about that. I am the founding president and, and it's been a good six years. And so I am honored to have had this opportunity to create this organization, right? Alongside Justin and Christina and all of our colleagues who were supportive and, and you know, gave us advice and, and pointed us in the right direction. It's been truly an honor. One of my most memorable, you know, memories as so far, right? At UCF being able to create this space for our Latinx community on our campus. Um, and those who believe in our mission, right? Come together right, right. and let's, let's work it out together. So let me ask you a quick question. Yeah, please. What is the registration process like to get a group like yours um, even recognized on our campus? That, that's, that's a great question, you know, because I, I recently did a presentation for the Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities on employee resource groups, okay? Mm -hmm. So I, I agreed to do the presentation because I'm a president of a group, right? Employee resource group. But then as I continued to do my research, right? I, I really dove deep, I was diving deep into the research, HSR, uh, HR research. Uh, I learned that these kind of groups, whether we want to call them employee resource groups, affinity groups, interest groups, right? They look very different um, across institutions across the country um, and their and processes are also very different. So some, some groups operate as a direct extension of human resources, while others operate independently. All of that to say, just kind of a, a background to, to share that for us, it was a matter of, of getting, getting it down on paper, establishing our constitution and bylaws. We sent official communications to the president and the provost at the time and, and, um, and Dr. Ihas. And so, you know, we said, okay, well, we're here and we look forward to, <laughs> to working with you and, and, uh, and then, you know, rolling out the marketing and bringing people on board, recruiting members. So that was the process for us. Okay. Um, and and it, went, it went pretty smoothly, you know, little by little. So are your organizations like, are you under some kind of, uh, like, you know, student organizations are under SDES and they have different protocols they have to do to be registered and whatnot. 
are you all under some particular department or is it HR or how does that work with regards to you know how you are recognized on campus as a unit? Well, I would say I would say that it's I mean unofficially I'd say we we're kind of like we don't have let's say let me start from there we don't I don't think we are part officially recognized as under any particular division okay. of the university. Um, our organizations and and I'll and I'll also you know refer to to my colleagues if I if I say something you know if you have another thought otherwise. Uh, but as our operate our organizations exist at UCF, but we are not an official entity of UCF. Therefore, okay. we so no one recognizes your charter, or no one particular uh, um, op option recognizes your your charter. I, I mean, again, not in an official sense, right? We're not an official entity of the university. I, I there there are definitely some natural synergies with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, which is right. a a part of the president's division. There's some natural synergies there, of course, and ODI has been a very long time partner with all of our organizations and working together to do things. So that, right. that's the best that I can do to answer that question. I that's hope that's right. It, it, it was just something that popped up um, organically just now and us having this conversation. And Courtney, I wanted to ask you, um, are there members of BFSA that are um, were part of that founding group that first year? Um, currently, I, I currently I don't think so. Um, okay. Now, with that being said, there's still communications, right, with with you know individuals that can definitely go back as close to the founding year as, as possible. Um, BFSA is um, you know just like you know you know my colleagues here, we're, we're lucky to have had individuals who have been working with the organization for a very long time. Um, you know, when I came on as president, I was able to, you know, reach out to at least, at least eight different past presidents here, kind of pick their brains and to, um, you know, be able to see, okay, how did you do it? What was different? You know, what would you like to see come back? You know, what, you know, what would you just like to see period, you know, um, just kind of, you know, get an understanding, I, you know, and that's just me as a, as a leader. I like to, you know, go, go back to my past leaders and, and kind of, do some market research, if you will, right? right. So, um, so yes, I do have you know leaders that have been here for 20, 25 years that I've been able to, to reach out to. 1971, <laughs> uh, maybe not so much, but we do have people who are still in contact with those who may have been here, you know, as early as a, as the late 80s that can definitely provide provide some insight. Yeah. So, so Justin, when you think about the experiences that you all are having, the needs that you have in your communities, what are some of those and how can UCF kind of be a part of making sure that um, those needs are met? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think, you know, when we were first founded in 2011, um, there was a lot of momentum to even recognize that there were LGBTQ plus individuals on the faculty and staff side. I think maybe on the student side, you know, we were building up to that support. Um, so I think from, from 2011 and on, there was more of like a focus on, all right, this community is here. How can we be better given the historical context, not only nationally, but locally at UCF, right? If you go far back, um, people who were openly LGBTQ plus or assumed to be were, um, fired or not hired or um, weren't eligible for tenure, things like that. Um, 
But I would say in 2016, when um, the attack on Pulse happened, that's what really shifted um, the perspective of, in my opinion, not only UCF, but the Orlando community of, you know, this is a community that we, we have to embrace um, because they're all around us. And, you know, one of the things that I really valued about my experience in La Fasa and even working with BFSA is that, you know, LGBTQ plus identities exist in black and brown communities, people of all faiths, non-faiths, um, socioeconomic status. Um, so I think that's really been something that I have um, tried to really uh, share every time I'm in the space with the president or anytime I'm speaking to my, my colleagues or my membership, um, you know, for us this year in PFSA, the last two years, uh, what we really were passionate about was making sure that our board was representative of the LGBTQ plus spectrum. So that includes trans identities, trans identity of color, um, black queer people, brown queer people, allies. Um, and so thankfully we've been able to really do that um, to show that we are in several pockets. And, you know, to answer your question, I, I, I wanted to provide some context, but to answer your question, I think um, right now, one of um, the objectives for PFSA is to see how do we quantify the data of our population on campus, mostly for the purposes of retention and outreach and intervention, because sometimes we see faculty and staff you know, we know this about students, um, kind of uh, they, they miss the, the touch points that might effectively help them navigate um, how to matriculate through school or even just find mentors. Um, and the same is true, like I said, on the faculty and staff side. Um, so right now I'm, I'm working with, with some folks um, to see how we can make that happen, um, to see if, it, if we can do it right. Um, and if there's existing um, processes that maybe other SUS um, institutions are doing, um, as well as some national benchmarks. So I would say if we know who's here, then we can serve who's here. But if we continue this culture of, you know, if I'm LGBTQ+, let me not talk about it, then it's ultimately toxic, um, not only for the university, but I would even say in Black and Brown communities where, you know, we're seeing a disproportionate amount of trans uh, Black women um, being murdered and killed. So those are some of the things, um, to name a few, that I think we're, we're really trying to focus on. Okay, excellent, excellent, excellent. How about you, um, Cynthia? I'll go with Cynthia this time. Okay, sure. <laughs> so what are, we, what are we working on is the question? Yeah, what are some of your experiences and your needs? Uh, what, do you, what do you need from the university in terms of the things that LaFasa is looking into and how can we as a university be supportive of, of, of the types of things that you are putting forth? Okay, yeah, sure. So, so I'll, I'll continue with, with some, some additional things that I meant to include in, in, my, in my intro as far as the historical piece of La Fasa, but there were, because we are such a young, a new organization, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there was, after we got through paperwork and you know the formalities and things, then we started thinking about the programmatic needs of our community and how we right. can create, provide space to celebrate culture. Uh, to celebrate our contributions, right, to the university and, and beyond and beyond. So a, a couple of the things that, that we've developed and, and we have celebrated over the years has been our Broche de Oro uh, recognition. It's a, it's a recognition dinner for faculty and staff, Latino faculty and staff, uh, right. to celebrate 
uh, whether if you got promotion and tenure, if you got a teaching award, if you got any kind of award or you published a journal here or there and, and so, or you had this very cool project that was impactful for our students or the external community, we wanted to highlight those contributions, right? And, and, and celebrate them, provide an additional space to celebrate. So a broche de oro, and broche de oro, I should, I should, I guess, explain or elaborate is, it's the phrase broche de oro, it's like closing with excellence. It's like a golden clasp of like closing with excellence. So that's the, the thought behind broche de oro, our recognition dinner. And then we also launched our Nuestra Graduación, which is, translates directly to our graduation. Uh, for again, for to celebrate uh, our Latinx students and their families in a bilingual format, right? English and Spanish. Right. And, and we wanted, that was kind of, a, again, just kind of looking around, thinking about what our university, what our community wanted and, and, and at UCF, and then also what was already being done. So like the Inguso Saba uh, celebration, right? Celebrating our, our African-American students, our black students. That's something that had been in place. It's been in place for many, many years. I don't know exactly how long, but a long time. Right. <laughs> and then we also have our la a lavender graduation celebration for our LGBTQ students. Right. So we were like, all right, we, we're doing our graduation too. So we, <laughs> we did that. And, uh, and it's been a hit. It's been a hit, you know, to uh, the community loves it. The students love the opportunity to come with their families and, and participate in culturally relevant ways, culturally right. responsive ways. Right. So, so those are some examples of the things that, that we've done. Um, you know, moving forward, moving forward as far as how the university can help is to continue uh, having conversations and putting plans in place to ensure the equitable representation um, and equitable access of Latino student and other minoritized students within key initiatives at the university that we know contribute to student success, right? We, we often talk about high impact practices. And, right. and, and so ensuring that we have equitable representation of our various student populations within those key practices. Mm -hmm. And then for us as faculty and staff is continuing, you know, our dedicated efforts to recruiting and retaining professionals of color for Latino, Black, you know, LGBT, what that looks like is on making sure that we are, you know, embracing equity-minded leadership, embracing that right. so that our faculty and staff and our administration mirror our student body. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep it there, but I see my colleagues, Courtney and Justin, we're nodding along because we've yeah. had a lot of these conversations. I, 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 got, I got a couple of follow-up questions for you. And I told you earlier that I wasn't going to give you any gotcha questions. So I hope this doesn't come across that way. But the, the question I have is, you know, first of all, how does the university actually, I guess, come across in a way that they are showing that they care that they understand that there are different populations coming from the Hispanic communities, Latino, Latinx communities. Um, because, you know, when it comes to translation and, and communicating, especially with our staff members, um, there's different dialects and there's a whole lot of ways that, you know, you can communicate with individuals. How do you respect each person in their own identity? Is that question geared towards me or is that for all? Yeah, just, yeah, how do, how do, yeah I, I would like to hear it from you in that perspective because we do have a lot of Spanish individuals on our campus. And I, I, I sometimes find that we don't necessarily treat them with the respect that they deserve, if that makes sense, right? And, and so 
it could be just as simple as saying something or responding to them in Spanish or learning a little Spanish um, to be able to do that. But I say that with the, with, the, with the thought that someone coming from Spain, somebody coming from Puerto Rico, somebody coming from Venezuela or somewhere else, there's different ways that um, they may take the interpretation of the words that someone is trying to, you know, because when I learned Spanish, I learned a certain way that not necessarily is an inclusive. Usually language. in school you learn from Spaniard. Yeah, you you learn yeah, very wasn't necessarily inclusive. Spanish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, so I have a, a number of thoughts come to mind, and I may not answer your question exactly, okay, but it comes to mind as I listen, and I appreciate the question. I, there, I mean, it, it's, we got to take a number of things into consideration, right? We have to take into consideration that we have a new president, and we need to give him time to adjust and figure things out, and, and he's going on year one, right? And, and all the transition that comes with that, right? All, all right. the, all the, the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. And then two, you know, with the pandemic, we've had a year, the recent past year, like no other. And so that put a standstill on a lot of different things. And we learned a lot in that process. And now, um, you know, things are picking back up again. The conversations are picking back up again. And we can now dedicate more of our time to, to other areas, uh, you know, where a lot of us were very kind of zoned in on COVID, right? And, fi and figuring that piece out, understandably so. Uh, the other piece is, you know, for, for each of our organizations, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very, I guess we need to be very mindful, right, of what, what our respective goals are any given year, right, and who we're serving any given year, because we know that within each one of our communities, and speaking for like the, the Latino community, the Latinx community, there's so much diversity within our own community, uh, different experiences, and such that you know, we often have to have the conversations about what, okay, so what is the goal for, for this year? What are the areas that we're going to zone in on? We can't be everything to everyone. And, and how can we truly be effective in any given space? So then there's that conversation and the differences that go along with those conversations, because sometimes we don't agree with ourselves, right? So figuring that piece out. Oh, and, and then, you know, so, so those are three pieces. I think I, I thought I had a fourth one. Uh, but, you know, as far as it's like, I think starting small, identifying the low hanging fruit, you know, here are two goals, three goals that we're going to work on this year. And then taking the, the context, the, the current year, the context of the current year, taking that into consideration and then figuring it out. I don't think that there's a massive plan out there for, for you know, how, how we can be successful because that's just, it's evolving, you know, it, it, it keeps going and, and needs and experiences shift. And Cindy, so I'll I, stop there. But. I want yeah, to say, I get it. We had it's a conversation, Cindy, in the past that sometimes it is okay to have, you know, to be in the moment where we exclusively have to concentrate on a certain, you know, dynamic of students, right? Like, you know, we've had that conversation of, you know, for instance, this past summer, we had a lot go on, right? So, you know, we had to concentrate and, and, and all kind of put our efforts in on the black students, right? Are you okay on the black faculty and staff? Are you okay with what went on between May and June, right? Um, and, you know, we'll have to do that as we, as we move forward, right? With our, like, our Latinx students, with our students of pride, right? Like, we're gonna have to, we do that. I think that, especially when you're in leadership roles, Yes, we have our all. We all have our individual goals, um, and and something that we all, you know, as 
as leadership e-boards, we all come together and, and strategically plan out what those things are for the year, like uh, Dr. Muniz was saying. Um, but sometimes we have to come together and concentrate on certain, you know, like certain students, you know, depending on what's going on during that time. Yeah. So I have a question that any of you all can answer um, with regards to um, how you see it. But a lot of times there is friction or there is uh, just a, a passing in the night of faculty and staff, right? What faculty do, what staff do. And I think it's particularly interesting coming from black and brown communities and, and, and I think probably in the LGBTQ community um, as well, um, how people kind of work together. What are you all doing to kind of bridge the gaps that may occur because I think it might be more problematic for our communities because there's such um, a less population of people um, within these demographics. Um, and so that you have these people working on campus and they are not necessarily connecting, there's, there could be issues that come up. And so I'm wondering how you all see that. Kind of speak to what BFSA has been doing, and because it, it's something that we have recognized, right? Um, and it's very um, common, to be quite honest with you. I've seen in other, you know, colleges and universities that that I've worked with. And for me, it's a matter of educating one another, right? Faculty and staff, um, as to what our, you know, everything from what our day to day is to how we have um, came to be in our roles, right? Um, how faculty and professors have become faculty and professors in their particular disciplines, how someone who's in student development has, you know, has gotten to where they are. Um, it's really about educating one another. So what we have intentionally been trying to do is, is making sure that, you know, um, hopefully coming up soon here this semester when we have meetings, that we, you know, showcase faculty research, you know, um, that we showcase certain projects and programming going on outside of, um, you know, you know, maybe an SDS and outside that traditional faculty role. Um, but we also wanna make sure that, you know, we don't necessarily exclude anyone if we're doing, um, you know, something with faculty, absolutely staff can come. It's their association as well. Right. Um, but it's, it's really about educating because you'll find that, you know, some staff will say, oh, well, I, I didn't know it was, you guys had to, yeah, I had to do that. I, I remember when I first learned about tenure, when I first came to, you know, be in higher ed, I was like, oh, wow, that is, <laughs> that is, a, that, that's a lot, you, you know? more than just come to work for three hours a day. Yeah, you, you just don't <laughs> apply for a position one day and you become a professor. That's not how that goes, you know? So yeah. um, it's really about, you know, educating one another and having that opportunity to travel. I always say travel, I come from that counseling you know, background and um, one of my favorite books is on being a therapist with by Kotler, right? So yeah. it's really, um, um, it's an opportunity to travel in the world and be that traveler for a minute, right? As to how they have gotten from point A to point B in their discipline. So. Okay, all right. Justin, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, um, I would add um, similarly is the education piece, but communication has has been um, key for us. And what I mean by that is, you know, we meet as a general body twice a semester. And I'm gonna be honest, you know, having been um, part of the inaugural board of La Fasa, there are some pointers, you know, that I've got for both, both BFSA and La Fasa that have significantly helped 
bridge um, some of those uh, issues that you speak about. And I think, you know, for us, one of the things that has really helped is one, those general body meetings. Uh, two, we have a monthly, well, now in the pandemic, bi-monthly newsletter that really highlights um, our membership, our council. Um, and then third, we've you know, as I mentioned, we've tried to make the council as diverse as possible with not only identity, um, but the mix of faculty and staff to really have, um, you know, an understanding, as Courtney was mentioning. I think, you know, one of the things um, that is is really great about PFSA is that we create community uh, with the events that we host together in which we can be ourselves. And I think that that has been super important in a, in a culture that has evolved to maybe a little bit more open and receptive of LGBTQ people. But I think, you know, one of the great things about PFSA, you know, if you are queer and you identify that way and you come to us, you're welcome, right? So we welcome anyone. Um, whereas I know, you know, sometimes it can be challenges. As you mentioned, Dr. B, with black and brown communities, there's different feelings about, you know, where do I come from? How do I speak the language? What's my education? What does my skin color look like? You know, so there's a little bit of an advantage there because we come to the table kind of sometimes as um, outcasts. Um, so it's a space where we just try to cultivate that relationship. Nice, nice, nice. So you, you brought up the word challenges and I'm wondering for all of you all, what kind of challenges do you see um, that you're dealing with? I need to be more specific. No, I mean, the first thing I, that comes to mind, and I'm sure we can all share in this is, you know, those financial challenges sometimes, you know, um, we, we have all come together and, and talked about some of the dynamic speakers that we would love, right, to hear from, um, but they cost money. <laughs> and um, sometimes we don't we don't necessarily have that, um, and we understand that's where collaboration and, and partnership may, may come in sometimes. But I think that's you know kind of one of the significant challenges that we can face at times. You have great ideas and you want to do so much, right? But you know there's only so much you know financial compensation that you are able to provide. Yeah. yeah. So you all talked a little bit about allyship and the fact that the three of you all communicate pretty often and you hang out with one another and you do certain things. As a matter of fact, PFSA and BFSA sound so similar sometimes. People are like, okay, which one are we talking about here? Um, so what is it about you all that that people should know that you are that you work together and that you are one? Because a lot of times people will think, okay, you're over here in this corner and you're over here in this corner. You got your own things going on. What's the beauty of allyship? I'll, I'll start if, if that's all right. I'll start there. You know, it, it, immediately when when La Fasa was established, it, along with those communications that we sent to the president and the provost and vice president Ijas, we also immediately reached out to the leadership at the time of BFSA and Pride as well, because we know, right, the 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 power, the power of of allyship and supporting one another. Like Courtney said before, you know, and, and I'm gonna tie two things together. So I'm gonna tie what Courtney said before about the importance of us continuing to hone in on the experiences and the needs of our respective communities because they deserve that attention. They deserve that time for us to focus in on what, what these our communities, what, what we're experiencing and how we can uplift our communities. 
And then I want to tie that back to what Justin said about communication, right? And, and, and understanding that those overlapping experiences, right? Those intersectional identities, how we have Black Latinos, we have trans Latinos, right? And, and how everything comes together and how we share a lot of the same struggles, right? And we may have some differing some differing struggles, different challenges as well. But you know, we it's 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 both and I I, I love it. I yeah. love to say it that way. Yeah, it's it's I mean, no matter what, no matter who, it shows yeah. how similar we are in terms of the things that are going on. Excellent. And we have our respective conversations with the president and the provost for our respective communities. And then we also look for opportunities for us to come together okay. as well and talk about how, you know, how we support one another. We want everyone to know that we do support one another and that we have a lot of our members are members of all of our organizations, you know, so everyone is welcome. You don't have to be black to join BFSA. You don't have to identify as LGBT. Yes, oh, you see, I'm having fun with this because it's so true. It's so important to me. No, I was the so, same because you know, I joined, <laughs> I joined PFSA. I'm not PFSA, yeah. PFSA awesome. uh, just yes. recently. Yeah, we promote we promote each other's each other's organizations as spaces where you know you'll get support and and you know you're welcome. You know if you if you're all about our mission and there's something that we can do to help you, then absolutely. You know we welcome right. you with open arms. So so, so th those are my thoughts. My there. question: I have a question with you for you all with regards to um, how do people become members? And what's their expectations once they are a member? What, how, how do you enlist it? So I'm giving you a, a chance to kind of bring some new members to your, um, your organizations. How do they become involved? Yeah, I'll share. Um, you can start with an email uh, to pfsa at ucs.edu. Um, and we do have an outreach um, chair within our council who is fantastic. I'm going to give her a shout out. It's Dr. Newberger, Dr. Lindsay Newberger from the Nicholson School of Communication and Media. Um, and so what she does is kind of do a little bit of an intake uh, conversation about what the, what the individual's general interest might be, um, and then connects them to um, the leadership, our general body meetings, the newsletter, our website, and of course our treasurer, um, because <laughs> treasure. dues for those who are able to um, contribute dues. Um, so that's a really great place to start. Um, you know, we try to be as supportive and present as possible. So you um, have members who, um, so you have more of a donation-based thing as opposed to having um, straight out dues? We have in the, we have in the past, we've shifted this okay. year, um, which has allowed us to do a little bit more, um, again, you know, kind of, um, the other associations modeling the way for us because we yeah. recognize, you know, that if someone can't contribute, that's okay. Um, but when there is contributions, then we can do more uh, mm -hmm. for visibility in terms of programs and and yes, yeah. yeah. You have a 50, 50 on fifty campaign going right now, Courtney. Right? Um, we do. We do to, um, to celebrate our 50 years, we have 50 for 50. So we um, welcome people to, to donate $50. That would be great you know, to our organization, um, just in the spirit and the support of that 50 year celebration. Um, as far as membership, um, if you go to bfsa-ucf.org, um, you will be directed um, to our membership. 
Um, so you'll go, you will, you know, fill out some information that we would love to just know about you. Um, and then from there, you're able to um, move forward and, and pay our dues, which are $30. Yep. So yep, dues, that's always, the, <laughs> that's always the plus. Um, so yep, we are, we so welcome. 50 50 is tax, tax deductible, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, again, we, we welcome anyone to, to do so. Um, it's been, you know, going, going very well. Um, you know, when it comes to um, our mentoring celebration this year, we are also um, going to be in support of those, any sponsorships and, and donations as well, which we do every year for our mentoring breakfast too. And um, that will go to scholarships for our um, students. Um, especially our award winners um, coming up here this month. So Courtney keeps segueing into my next question each time. As I, I was going to go to Cindy and ask her about mentoring um, because of career fachotos and other things that we got going on on our campus. How does BFSA, how does LaFasa, how does um, Pride and PFSA um, mentor students or mentor faculty and staff? Actually? Yeah. Absolutely. Before we get to that, allow me to please also share how okay. you can become a member <laughs> of the FASA <laughs> as well. So, so for right now, we are finalizing a new website, but you are welcome. Anyone is welcome to, uh, to send an email to lafasa at ucf.edu. L-A-F-A-S-A, -A -A, lafasa at ucf.edu. Our dues are $25 uh, from July 1 to June 30th. And so, you know, those, those funds help us, right, kind of bring our mission to life, right? Th those funds help us as far as wanting to provide scholarships, right, for students, faculty, and staff. Uh, so you'll, you'll get more information later this semester about that. And also our technology needs, because now everything is technology. So we're not buying food this year, but we are, you know, improving our software so yeah, that we members effectively right yeah. uh, so so that is and we like to we like to say that it is a contribution to the mission right it's, it's not it, we don't want it to be transactional in that sense we don't want it to you know sometimes people hear dues and they're like okay well if i pay this then what do i get and it's a fair question i get it uh but, you're, but you're, what you're <laughs> saying is that when I joined, you didn't have my arm twisted behind my back. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's <laughs> the mission, right? <laughs> you support the mission and you want to provide the resources for us to continue doing this work on behalf of our community, right? The Latinx that's community. That's a good salesperson. Black community, the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community. Then that's what, that's what that is, right? That that's is, what, that is so what that is. To... Yes, you are a great salesperson. You have always <laughs> been a great salesperson. Go for it. <laughs> No, they, they, that that it's all love. It is. It's a love contribution. <laughs> truly, truly. Along with to answer your question about mentor about mentorship. So, uh, you know, I'll start with as far as La Fasa Crear Futuros is a is a is a peer mentoring program. So, uh, on, so upper level, right? I think yeah, senior juniors and seniors mentor right. freshmen and sophomore students, upperclassmen. Uh, they, so it's a peer mentoring opportunity, but then a lot of, La, of our La Fasa members also are, you know, kind of, they participate in Crear Futuros um, events or just kind of around when students, if the students do request a mentor, then we make sure to connect 
one of the Crear Futuro students with the La Faza member as well. So, so we make those opportunities available to the students um, and, and often they do take advantage of that, of that opportunity. And then we'll start, we'll send out, you know, a note to our members and say, here's the student, is anyone willing to, you know, or if we have more information on the student, then we'll be very uh, intentional, right? With the, right? with the characteristics of any particular mentor match. So, so that's us. And I'll turn it over to Courtney and Justin because I know that there's some other programs as well. Excellent. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so um, as far as mentorship in about, I would say 2014, we partnered with LGBTQ plus services um, to create what's known as the Alliance Mentoring Program. Okay. Um, and I know Cynthia mentioned at the start, um, you know, that La Fasa drew a lot of um, their initial startup um, inspiration from BFSA. And so I'm sure Courtney will share about the legacy program, but it was kind of a similar idea of connecting LGBTQ plus students to LGBTQ plus faculty and staff um, for intervention purposes and coaching purposes. Um, so LGBTQ plus services has really been a, a big part and important role in training faculty and staff to know what the resources are, how to have these meetings, um, and to connect students to whatever it is they might need. Um, so it's really neat they do an intake process in which, you know, faculty and staff identify some of their um, some of their interests, their likes, their, they share their identity and students uh, do that similarly. And then LGBTQ plus services hosts a training, um, an opening celebration and ultimately uh, uh, end of year celebration, recognizing and acknowledging all of the mentors and mentees that go through the program. So I would say, you know, it's a pretty neat program. Um, students get a lot out of it. And, and I've seen a lot of students become um, student leaders as a result of seeing, you know, yeah. wow, there are other out LGBTQ plus professionals um, at the university and I can do this too and reach that goal too. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. Courtney, about yeah. BFSA. Yeah. So um, BFSA, um, you know, some time ago established the Legacy Mentoring Program, um, which is now housed with you, Dr. Butler, in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Um, again, it was a program to um, support our students um, on campus um, where we matched them, you know, we matched our um, mentors up with a mentee. Um, and those relationships can pretty much continue as long as you would like with, with many mentor-mentee relationships. Um, so again, established with us. Um, however, the, we felt at some point that it would be, um, as far as longevity, would be better housed under that division of diversity and inclusion. However, we do definitely support that. Um, so we try to bring in as many mentors as possible to the program. Um, so it's a constant advertisement you know, to our black faculty and staff to be a mentor, right? And, and what that uh, mentorship means, um, hence the reason why we continue with our celebration every year. So um, you know, something that we've talked about as an e-board as well is also building a uh, mentoring program for our faculty and our staff um, and in some capacity as well, um, because we know that we sometimes need to be mentored too, right? That's always beneficial and helpful as we move forward in our in our career. So um, hopefully that's something that we can see in the near future. So each of you, if you would, can you please kind of talk a little bit about um, in our last couple of minutes here, um, we only have about three or four here, um, but these organizations have 
definitely given you something. Um, Cindy, you've been doing this uh, labor of love for about six years um, with, with, with LaFasa. Uh, Courtney, you coming in and, you know, moving from the VP position straight into the president position and doing things along those lines. Justin, you being involved with, um, with the Pride organization, um, I think you're, you, you helped to institute that as well in terms of getting that off the ground. Um, but your, your leadership has been um, phenomenal within that organization as well. So my question is, what, what do you take away from those experiences? What is your greatest benefit that you received being the president of your organization? Wow, that's a, that's let's a, see how I can sum that up. I'm, I, I will, I will, I will jump in and say, well, I, I don't know, I don't know how to answer the question, but what, 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 what is, what has, what has been important to me for, for some time, probably, you know, from the beginning has been being, being the voice of the voiceless, right? I know we, we use that um, often is, is, serving as the voice for my community that has driven me for ever has driven me forever and I recognize that you know for Latinas you know we represent three out of a thousand Latinas earn a doctorate degree right and, and it's like I cannot have that kind of that privilege as far as you know my academic achievements and not utilize my my positionality to advocate for others who may not feel as if they could speak up for themselves so, so whenever I speak to a student or a parent who doesn't speak English or my colleague, you know, who doesn't feel like, you know, he, she, they can speak up, then sometimes I feel more comfortable taking those risks. And, and when, and it does make a difference. And, and when the outcome is positive, it just, it means the world. So my thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm not trying to bring you to tears. I'm sorry. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. How about you? I can say for me, it's being able to support and being representation of the past, the present, and the future, right? Um, I have been able to, again, talk to past leadership, talk to past members, be able to take that information into the present. I'm a strategic planner, so try to, you know, strategically read it you know, redesign some things as well as make sure that we move forward with some of our historical factors, right? And, and what we do and see and hopefully create a future and, and continue to have VFSA grow and evolve. And that's what important to me. I, important to me, I think it naturally becomes this labor of love for, for all of us. Um, and and it'll, it doesn't go away. I think even when, you know, Dr. Muniz moves on and, you know, you'll, you'll still have that heart to want to see them you know, move and grow and evolve and do what you can to help them do so. So yeah, to, to, to be able to represent the past, present, and future, that, that's very meaningful to me. Nice. Thank you. And just yeah, and, and for me, you know, I was, as I was listening to both Cynthia and Courtney speak, I think for me, it's really the drive to normalize visibility. Um, and it, it's not lost on me that I'm a Latino man who also is openly gay. And I think those intersections are really important to highlight, especially in black and brown communities where, you know, machismo 
and hypermasculinity is oftentimes elevated. I mean, we see that all around us. Um, so it's really important for me to just be in a space where similar to what Cynthia mentioned, you know, I just, I have a calling. Um, sometimes when I'm not inspired and sometimes, you know, when I'm really down and I'm like, why do I do this? I come together with Cynthia or Courtney or Dr. B or other groups that I, I chair and the minute they tell me these are the inequities happening, I just have this rise, this urge to say, you know what, I'm going to say something. And that could risk my professional development. That could risk so many things. But I've always said, and, you know, um, I, I shared this with Dr. Ehas recently. I've always said that if I work somewhere where I cannot be my true self, then true that self. is not that is not the place I want to be. And so that's, that's why I take on this role is because I want everybody to say that ultimately. Nice. That's a great way to end this podcast um, today. Um, to, to speak your truth. And I think each of you all did that beautifully today. I appreciate you uh, for being a part of today's conversation. And I'm, I'm hopeful that people will recognize the gifts that you, you all bring within your organizations to the campus and and, and buy into it. I think Dr. Muniz, you said really early on that anybody can be a member of the organization, just come and you can help us to, to move the initiatives forward that are necessary to kind of help with the inclusivity, the, um, the, the, the ability to make sure that there's equity and inclusion throughout the campus is, is, is powerful. And you all do that, do it wonderfully. You showcase today that uh, there's, there's allyship and that this is not, you know, competition per se against each other. It's like, how do we grow together and, and do the things that are necessary? So thank each of you um, for taking the time out and being a part of today's uh, podcast. It, it's, been, it's been fun talking with you. I hope you had a good time. I hope thank I didn't you challenge you too much. Um, yeah. but, uh, again, thank you. Um, this, has been, this has been great. Um, I also want to thank our UCF Foundation office who helps support the, um, the podcast. And, and on next Friday, we're going to be, or this Friday coming up, we're going to be talking with um, Hannah Anton, who is the student president for the Democratic um, students on campus. And we're just going to talk with her a little bit about uh, the election and how things have kind of turned out and just kind of her viewpoints on on where we go moving forward from the student perspective. So those of you who can check us out will be here at one o'clock on Friday. Um, but thank you all. And, um, and I hope you have a phenomenal rest of your days. Okay? Thank you, muchas gracias. Bye everyone. <laughs> thank you, Dr. B, thank you, ODI. Thanks for listening to our show, which is brought to you by UCF Foundation. This has been Matters of Diversity with Dr. B.